Hello and welcome to the Tomato Tomato Podcast. It's a podcast about movies and how they're reviewed and life finding a way. I'm Jenna, one of your usual co-hosts, and joining me as always is... The other co-host, Chris. Yes. If you couldn't tell by my introduction, we're going to do a little thing about Jurassic Park in celebration or tying to... I don't know if it's celebration, considering <laughs> people are saying about this movie. In accordance with <laughs> Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. <laughs> but before we get to that, there's enough weird genuinely weird like what the fuck level of movie criticism news that we need to do a little sidebar first before we can the main course okay but Gotti, i feel like we can talk about a little bit more first we need to touch on the sidebar of whoever the fuck what outlet was that again that did the the incredibles review it was the new yorker so That points out exactly what we argued for like an hour last week about film criticism and about there needing to be a diversity of voices and why the fuck does the New Yorker like why is there <laughs> well here but, well, before you get into that let's read some of this first so people have context for what we're talking about yes so this is from the New Yorker review of The Incredibles Incredibles two yes. Take your seat at any early evening screening of Incredibles 2 in the coming days. Listen carefully, and you may just hear a shifty sound as of parents squirming awkwardly beside the enraptured offspring. And why kids? Because mommy just learned over to, leaned over to daddy and whispered, Is it just me, or does Mrs. Incredible kind of look like Anastasia in Fifty Shades of Grey? You know, the girl in the red room with the whips and all? And daddy just rested his cooling soda firmly in his lap, and like Mr. Incredible, tried very hard to think of algebra. As for how Daddy will react later on during the scene in which Helen and the husky-voiced Evelyn unwind and simply talk woman to woman, I hate to think, but watching out for flying popcorn. <sighs> I'm just so tired. I'm so, like, it, like, okay, if that was a, if that was a porn parody, like a fan fiction porn parody of Incredibles 2, I would be like, okay, you put some, for some extra effort. You, like, thought out all of this if this was like a script for a porn about like a, a movie like someone in a movie theater who then is in porn i'm like okay cool but as a professional review from a serious outlet about a fucking kids movie what the I fuck i understand it the new yorker is they're high on themselves and like we thought their infinity war review was bad this is this much is, worse is it's a fucking kids movie like get over yourself and like you've seen Incredibles too, you have a little bit more context. That one scene that that he talks about at the end is it literally just like Bechdel test to women just talking? Is it literally like there's no undertones to it? I assume at all. Uh, you don't remember. <laughs> I don't. It's. I'm not saying that the movie was forgettable. It was entertaining. But. <laughs> but it's not as good as the first. The 14 year wait was guess it was worth it um it, it glad that it's making a lot of money but it's just like 12 years too late well and i'm like if you make a third one make it like two years from now don't do this shit again well see they literally waited too long to make a new one that they had to recast uh dash oh yeah that's right because he was a kid uh when it first came out and now he's too old to do it so they had to find someone else Jesus. but yeah i'm like okay who who like leaps this far 
to writing like and this is just one paragraph of the review there's a couple other moments where it's just kind of like even more weird innuendos in this review like unnecessarily weird to the point where i was just kind of sitting there reading it having not seen incredibles 2 and just thinking what the hell is this movie because there are kids movies that have weird sexual undertones but this guy sounds like he was way too into whatever he was picking up from Incredibles 2. Yeah. And I'm just like, how can you, how can the New Yorker read that and go, okay, let's publish they, this. They know it'll get clicks. That's all oh. it is. They don't care. It's their hoity-toity. It makes them look even worse. Like, I don't know. I, all, of the, all of the memes about this in the past couple of days have been great. Like, I found, I, I need to retweet it, but it was like a fake meme of like, here's the review of Minions. And it was basically just like, in a really big text in their fancy font, I want to fuck the Minions. Because <laughs> it's just like, they, they dug themselves into this weird hole where now everyone's going to think whenever that guy does a review or whenever the New Yorker as a whole does a review of a kid's movie, this is going to be what they think of. Yeah. It's just, I just, I don't, I don't get the New Yorker there. There's such a weird outlet that they have the, the prestige of being the New Yorker, but then they put out something like this. Yep. Uh, Anyways, you can wait to see Incredibles 2 when it comes to on demand. Yeah, that's probably what I'm going to do, realistically. I mean, we'll see. But I kind of, like, my, my family saw it way before I could. They went to, like, an early screening. And so I was like, well, now that they've seen it, I don't really have, like, a desperate need to. I, like, I was one of those people when it first it was announced where I'm like, holy shit, yes, give me a sequel. But now I'm just kind of like, I'll see eh. it eventually. Yeah. But... Like, I'm glad that it's doing well, but it's just kind of an interesting little pocket. I feel like we could have done a whole separate episode just about, like, the first Incredibles and kind of talking about, like, how much things have changed for the superhero genre and all of that stuff. Yes, because this franchise is pre-MCU by four years. Mm-hmm. Well, and, like, those involved with the film were basically like, but we still have a unique pocket in there, even if the MCU has kind of like overshadowed us for the past decade, but I'm yeah. like, okay, but also <laughs> people have completely different expectations now. So I don't know. So that was a little sidebar on that. And then as Chris mentioned, what the fuck is going on with Gotti? So I really, for me, I just discovered this movie existed the other day when I saw Incredibles 2. Uh, I was at the was theater. Ad? Oh, I was like, it was very preview for this movie before Incredible. No, there was, there was a theater so... that said, Gotti, screening here right next to Incredible. And I was like, oh, what is that? And then I soon discovered the steaming shit pile that is Gotti. You see, I was like, if they are promoting that during Incredibles 2, that is some <laughs> very persistent marketing, which would not surprise me, considering how this marketing campaign has gone. But so, for... The people who have no idea what we're talking about. We're talking about Gotti, a mob crime drama film about John Travolta playing John Gotti, which is directed by one of the dudes from Entourage and is scored by Pitbull. So that's no, everything you need to know. I am not kidding at all in any way, shape, or form. So as you would expect when you combine that super group of talent and you know, ingenuity and all of that together, 
It has a 0% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. This is Travolta's fourth 0%. Oh shit, you're right. That's crazy. Yeah, he's had better days. Yeah, but, so, it has a 0% rating on Rotten Tomatoes, which is kind of a thing that people have talked about. Apparently, John Travolta is genuinely upset. He thought that this would be, like, an Oscar contender. So does everyone. Which yeah, of course he did. He thought this would get him back on the map. This is going to be, like, his little prestige thing. He's going to get Best Oscar noms, and uh, it's so sad. There's, there's even, I can't find it, and it frustrates me. There was a, like, for your consideration graphic that someone got emailed from the film's publicist and then they posted it on Twitter and it's like for your consideration in every category and it's like best original score Pitbull best original song blah 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 by Pitbull and I'm like what am I looking at like I genuinely <laughs> thought it was a joke but it was a 100% serious thing but so Gotti has a 0% score on the tomato meter but, and like literally the, cr the critic consensus is one word and it's just forget about it. So <laughs> if that gives you a clue. Maybe there's only 28 reviews because this movie- I think that's more than enough. It I, made a million dollars last weekend. No one gives a shit about this movie. So it's not like every outlet, outlet was like rushing to go review this movie. It, but- it that The audience score is 64%. So that's the thing is that the, so- I, I'm reading, like, I have a thing from Gizmodo that kind of breaks down the audience score and all of that. So, the, let's see, it says, at, at first, Gotti had a 78% fresh rating from audiences. That number has since fallen slightly to 69%. Nice. nice. The one thing that's strange about this is that 7,063 users have voiced their opinion about the film that made around 1.9 million over the weekend. The weekend's winner at the box office, Incredibles 2, has 7,852 users <laughs> and pulled in $183 million over the same time period. So you know that thing we've talked about before where there's awful neckbeards who are like, let's sabotage Black Panther score or let's yeah. sabotage Black Wonder Woman or whatever the fuck. That's literally what the people involved with Gotti seem to be doing to make people give a shit about this movie. And literally now their whole slant of their marketing campaign is like, like audiences love Gotti, but critics don't like it, so you be the judge and go see it for yourself. Yeah, you're really leaning into that angle, and it's not going to work. And part of it is, is that one of the distributors of the film is MoviePass. Yeah, so MoviePass is... digging them into a hole even further. Someone put, took a screenshot of, like, a push notification that they got from MoviePass that basically said what I just did, of, like... Critics hate Gotti, but audiences love it. You should go see it and judge for yourself or whatever. And it's like so, it's being such a show in such a weird way. It's just so weird. Like, yeah, if you go to the movie, past, yeah, movie, if you go to movie thing right now, it's like 90% them shilling out Gotti and them bitching at AMC. Yeah. And it, movie passes was such a cool thing when it started. I never got it. But it's like, oh, that's a cool idea. And they've just dug themselves into this hole and now they're scrambling because the uh, AMC is coming out with a much better version of movie pass um, yeah movie pass is <laughs> I'm curious to see how they're gonna come out of this and yeah. how much money they're going to lose well and like other yeah other film things have already like other 
theater chains have already tried to kind of one-up MoviePass. Like, I know Cinemark has their, like, movie club thing, where it's, like, a dollar cheaper than MoviePass is. And, like, sure, it's not one movie a day, as MoviePass claims, but also, like, the one movie a day thing feels like bullshit to me. Because it's like, hi, well, like, the only movie you can see is the, is probably Gotti. Like, you can probably see every showing of Gotti and then nothing else. And then You could be the one guy who sees Gotti 42 times and get invited to the premiere of Gotti 2. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> But it's just so, it's so weird. It's so, it's just so weird. Like I said, the Incredibles thing and the Gotti thing have just been like, what the fuck is going on with film criticism right now? Because there's no hype around Gotti. No one gives a shit about Gotti. No one knows about Gotti, so there's no hype. No. Here's the thing. If that movie had premiered on HBO, it would have done mediocrely well, maybe. Maybe a little better. even Showtime. Yeah, like, make that a good, like, HBO biopic, or even just the same level of quality HBO biopic, and you still would have had a better audience than they did in a theatrical release. So, it's just such a mess. I don't know what MoviePass is doing, and it's just kind of hilarious as this whole thing keeps developing. So, So yeah. Now, the bulk of this podcast. Yeah, for Gotti's Oscar noms later. But yeah, the the bulk of this podcast is Jurassic World. Da, 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 da. <laughs> so for me, Jurassic Park, the original, the first, the best, is is a benchmark in black summer blockbuster mm-hmm. uh, movies. It nothing has beat it. It's so goddamn fucking perfect. Mm-hmm. And everything that it does. Um, so uh, it's ninety-two percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, are we but, going, are we going? What order are we going? So there's a list on Rotten Tomatoes know, but like, that ranks them last to. Or we'll just go in the article that I sent you. I know, but like, which order are we following? From top to bottom, and the article I sent you. Okay, it's just by the end of it, we're gonna be at like Jurassic Park 3 and we're just going to be like eh <laughs> so that was why I wasn't sure okay <laughs> no I was just I we didn't plan this out beforehand that's why I was trying to figure it out but well then we'll start from the bottom okay <laughs> so Jurassic Park 3 is a steaming pile of shit it shouldn't have been made no it tried not. it tried no. um it just didn't work even um, with Dern, you like like Laura Dern did not save this movie. She was only in it for like two or three scenes, though. I know, but still, Laura it's, Dern can yeah. Laura Dern can elevate almost anything, but not it's, this movie. It's fifty percent. It came out in two thousand one. Um, yeah, it, it it. I don't want to say it was unnecessary. They tried. It just didn't have memorable characters like the last two. Even, like, I, I would expect more from this director, because it was the guy who did Cap 1. And so I'm like, Good come on. Austin, yeah. yeah, I'm like, come on. Come on, buddy. Why did you why did you tank this franchise? Why did you make kind of the, the Batman of this franchise? <laughs> but, yeah, it, I don't really know what else to say about it. It, like... We can say that it was the sequel to the Lost World Jurassic Park. Yes. 
from 1997. Sure. And that was 53%. I am, I'm genuinely surprised. I, we'll, we'll get to, no, we'll get to Fallen Kingdoms, like Rotten Tomatoes score, but I'm now surprised knowing where that lands. Because I thought it was much more, I thought it was much worse than it actually is. The Lost to, World or no, Fallen I Kingdom? I thought that where Falling Kingdom's Rotten Tomato score was, was like, oh no, this is a new low for the <laughs> franchise, and it's clearly not. No. But, yeah, Lost World has 53%. I enjoy this I on a too. weird level. I don't know. It's yeah, like... I, I don't know why it's so low. It's not the best, but I still really enjoy it. Even Goldblum aside, it's still fun. And it it has a story that makes sense. In, in the the Jurassic Park universe. Yeah. Um, it came out, yeah, 97. Yeah. So but, it, it was, uh, wow. So four years, yeah, four years later uh-huh. after the original. Um, I mean. Well, and like the critic consensus says, the Lost World demonstrates how far CG effects have come in the four years since Jurassic Park. Unfortunately, it also proves how difficult it can be to put together a truly compelling sequel. Which, like, yeah, when you set yourself so high with the original film and kind of like have such like a lot of because the first one is so much based on the like source material and then this one kind of it is it's yeah. based, there is a follow-up book so there was still material to draw from but they obviously didn't have like the nuance to it that the first film had well even the first one changed a lot of stuff from the original book yeah and and Crichton he changed a lot because he wrote the screenplay for the first one. Oh yeah so I, I don't know if he wrote the second movie. Um, but even still, I I think it's fun and enjoyable. It It's, I mean, Goldblum. Yeah. Goldblum. How can uh, you not? Like, come on. That's like, I, the, the one, like, the big selling point where I'm like, okay, I am more intrigued with Fallen Kingdom than I would be otherwise is the fact that Jeff Goldblum is in this movie. It's probably only for one scene. five yeah. minutes. Maybe they've already put that one scene online too. So I'm like, why are you shooting yourselves in the foot? It's like when when Arrow put out their Batman name drop like a day before the episode Uh, aired, and then no one gave a shit to watch the episode. I mean, I've basically seen a synopsis for the movie already. It's it's not interesting. I feel like I've seen the post credit scene is like the trailer, like just watching that that extended like the last trailer of it. I now have a general enough idea of where the entire film is going to go. And I have an idea of where the next one is going to go. Because you know the post credit scene. Yep. Okay. Do you know it? No. Go ahead and spoil me. I don't care. Okay, so the post credit scene is literally... Uh, should, we, should we, like, should we spoiler protect this? Yeah. Or yeah. Or I mean, by this point, you know I'm going to say it, so you can pause it. Just skip, jump. Skip ahead 15 seconds on your <clears> podcast app. Yeah. Okay, go. So, five-second scene, it opens on a flying dinosaur on the Eiffel Tower in Vegas, and that's it. (laughs) They're going to go full Planet of the Apes. No, see, my thought was they're going full Sharknado. That was my instantaneous thought (laughs) when when Sharknado went to Las Vegas. (laughs) That was the very first thought that I had, but... Okay. That's a thing. Yeah. Okay. That's it. 
bring Jeff Goldblum back. Make him an actual part of the story, and then we can talk. Because I, w- I would love to see... The Jeff whole movie would just be him saying, I was right, I was right, I, I was right. I know. I just, I would love to see Jeff Goldblum chasing around dinosaurs in Las Vegas. Like, give that to me, please. I deserve that as a human being. Yeah. But we'll see what they actually give to us. And also, Colin Trevorrow is back for it, so... Yeah. Well, this is... This is damage control for Trevorrow from uh, doing episode nine. If he has to do this instead of not doing episode nine, that's fine. Yeah. Um, but yeah, back to Lost World. I mean, let's see. It, so it says that Crichton didn't write it. It was written by David, David Cap. Cap. But I mean, it's, it's still Spielberg. It's still yeah. him doing his thing, kind of. It. Let's see. It says the dino daring do of of Lost World doesn't feel quite as fresh as Jurassic Park, and critical praise was far less plentiful the second time around. Even Owen Gleiberman, in his largely positive review for Entertainment Weekly, was forced to concede the movie at its best is good fun, deft, scary, and grossing. Yet it is never great fun, which that's kind of my thing too with a lot of blockbusters and sequels and stuff like that. Is it's like it's, it's kind of what you were saying with Incredibles too, where it's like it's fun. It's not a it's not a drudge to get through, but it doesn't capture the magic of what yeah. the original was. It's a step above serviceable. Yeah, exactly. Like if it's on TV, I'm not going to change the channel. Yeah, but you're also not going to like actively seek it out. Yeah, which that's kind of it, I, I just that's such a sequel thing to an extent. Like you either have sequels that elevate the franchise or they're just kind of uh, and, and it's like crap. one of those things like can you blame universal for having this huge huge movie and then not wanting to capitalize on it no like of course they're gonna follow it up with a sequel yeah but then there's also the the nuance of it all but even then even then because it's it's such a weird argument to be like well what if they had more time because like incredibles 2 had more time <laughs> like more time than it justifiably should so there's always this conundrum with sequels where it's like did you rush this or did you actually put enough effort into this it's, it's, it's a logical sequel yeah because it deals with the fallout from the first one yeah because it's like how do you handle having two islands full of dinosaurs after this tragic event where dinosaurs ate people and we were going to have a theme park based around them and it's a logical follow-up it doesn't completely stick the landing but it's it's a good sequel in that sense where it addresses the first one but still kind of has its own story yeah and like i said much like like incredibles 2 yeah where the direct sequel is still dealing with the the fallout from the first one but goes into its own story yeah but yeah like i i like lost world it's just not like something to really write home about i feel yeah. like yeah um speaking of <laughs> jurassic world should we talk about fallen kingdom since it technically falls in the middle here yeah so, I, let, me, let me see what the hell the rotten tomato score is now and who's what candy is sponsoring it this time it's at 55 percent currently okay. it has 91 fresh 74 rotten the consensus is Adds another set piece, uh, packed entry to the blockbuster franchise. Although generally thrilling, moments are increasingly short supply. 
that's kind of the takeaway that I feel like I would have for this movie whenever I end up seeing it is like everything that kind of looked cool is already in the trailers. Yep. I kind of know exactly how they're probably going to play out. No, it, it, we know exactly how it's going to play out. Oh, Cause all you see in the trailers are these big set pieces and you can, if you've seen enough of them, even one or two trailers, you can piece together the, sequence of events well and especially that second trailer which i remember you did not like at all you were like butthurt about that for a solid like 30 minutes about how it gives away the twist and how the twist is kind of like nihilistic as fuck (laughs) it's the trailer just like the first it gives away all these good moments like those moments that like make you go ah ooh ah yeah and then everyone's running uh, but they gave away so much in the trailer, which makes me think, like, did Universal know that they had a stinker on their hands? And it's like, we need to really sell people on this. But and it meant, give like, it all away. And, like, like the, the, there's two tones for this movie. There's two different movies. There's the, we need to rescue the dinosaurs. And then there's this weird thriller in there where people are selling dinosaurs in their made to be weapons and it's like just pick one and go with it or blend with them in a way that makes sense don't like shift gears halfway through the movie and especially like that's the thing. i have seen so much discourse about that plot twist when it was revealed like a month ago because it it is kind of it's not a selling point really i would have been a little more interested in this movie if i didn't know that twist already because seeing it in the trailers was like oh, well, that kind of sucks. Like, I know they'll get out of it because it's this big blockbuster and they'll find a way to do it. But at the same time, like, what the fuck? Why are you getting all, like, evil and sad, sort of, with the undertone of this? There's also a a little voice in the back of my brain just saying, be thankful we didn't get the original Jurassic Park 4. Do you know what that was? No. (laughs) So, I will find the concept art for you. Thank you. Also, be- the Rotten Tomatoes score is presented by Skittles, just to keep up with our candy conspiracy. There's so much stupid candy tying with this movie. It is upsetting. <laughs> candy conspiracy. So, <clears throat> so, basically, this was in development well before um, Jurassic Worlds, okay. uh, the first of the new ones. There was a script in 2005... And there's a whole bunch of concept art for it. Um, And it is some of the most disturbing stuff I have seen. And and I'm so glad they did not lean into this angle. Um, So I'm about to (laughs) deep. Oh, I am. Because I would like to to hear your reaction on air. I'm going to send you a couple articles. Okay. I feel like this is going to be... I would just have to reference something in one of our lost episodes, which will hopefully not be a lost episode at some point, but we will see. Um, Because... This there you go. Sounds in line try with not, my reaction to Spider-Man Four. <laughs> try not to read the uh, title first, just so you can just open it up. Okay. No. <laughs> so basically, no! what it is: no! the original concept was human-dinosaur hybrid army guys. What? Uh, they're weaponized. They have. Uh, guns for arms. They're like velociraptors <laughs> hybrid with people. They have guns for arms. 
Yeah. And so basically, imagine what? the lower half of a velociraptor with the top half being a human. But not even really and, a human. It's like with the top half being Voldemort. Yeah. And yeah. so that was that was some of the concept for the original Jurassic Park 4. What in the actual fuck is this shit? Who was supposed to direct or write this heaping sack of garbage? Yeah, I, I don't remember offhand. Um, oh, uh, John Sayles from 8 Men Out. He was going to write it. Um, it it was not going to be good. I'm so glad it didn't happen. Oh. So it makes me glad that we have the new wave of movies instead of that. Because that would have killed the franchise. Exponentially worse. It's like a oh sci-fi God. channel movie concept. God, that makes me appreciate Jurassic World so much more. Yeah, so you should be thankful we got am- Jurassic World and not that. I am very thankful. Like, okay, so I guess we can go to to Jurassic World because it's next on the tomato meter. Um, I it's, it's 71% fresh. on the tomato meter. Yeah, the first fresh movie in this list so far. Um, I It has its problems. It has more problems in hindsight. Um, I still yes. find it really weird that Lena Luther is very violently killed in this movie. Which unnecessarily so. I have a problem with that for many reasons. Because she's violently killed and because it it breaks the streak of having a woman killed by a dinosaur, which to me goes against Jurassic Park in general because y'all remember Laura Dern's uh, speech, the iconic speech from the first one where women inherit the earth. Yes. No woman should be eaten by a dinosaur in this franchise. Yeah. Just the dudes. Like, the moment is almost played for laughs in a way. Like, it's so over the top and so ridiculous that it kind of, it makes audiences be like, oh no, oh my god. And then you kind of have to laugh at how ridiculous it is. And it's, that makes it even worse to me. Yeah. I'm like, no, Katie McGrath deserved a lot better in this movie. (laughs) Than to like look absolutely amazing in this movie and then be violently killed by like three different dinosaurs. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, it, but like uh, even with this movie's flaws, even with it being not the most profound movie, I would yeah. say I remember being very hyped for this movie and thinking like, what does this franchise mean now? And like, what can they talk about now that they wouldn't be able to talk about with the originals? And they didn't really do that. I think because they know their strengths and it's like, we're not smart enough to do that. So we're just going to heavily lean into the cool factor of it all. Yeah. And like still make you care, still make you invested in everything, but like not go Except out the kids. <laughs> oh, come on. But that, that kid whose character from Iron Man 3, I can't name, wasn't enough of a draw for you. Oh my God. The, see, people are annoyed by the kids in the first one. I like them. Yeah. I find them charming in in this weird way. Sure, they might be a little annoying sometimes, but I like them in that one. Oh yeah, the older kid is in Love Simon, so he oh. like glowed up. Yes, he did. <laughs> His filmography got a little bit better, um, but yeah, it like the kids in this are fine. They're exactly what you would expect, kind of. They're by the numbers. Yeah, which is exactly it's totally fine to me. But like, they don't know how to hack. But you know, whatever. I'm in. Um, it's a Unix system. 
uh, so Jurassic World, it, it can't match the original for sheer inventiveness and impact, but it works in its own right as an entertaining and visually dazzling popcorn thriller. That's the critic consensus. Yeah, and then there's one that says, from the New York, New York Daily News, it says, For much of its running time, Jurassic World plays like a great theme park ride. In an age of blockbusters that lumber like herbivores, it's refreshing to see a, a movie as lean and, be and mean as a velociraptor. Which, like, I do feel like, in a weird way, the like universal Jurassic Park rides are a bit of a service to this movie. Because mm -hmm. it does kind of keep up that momentum and, like, spectacle of it all. To yeah. when, like when this came out, they kind of, like you said, they kind of leaned into it a little bit, but it worked on like a mass appeal sort of thing. It's so weird how how many things work in a way that would otherwise kind of annoy me. Yeah, like the opening shots of the park in the movie, and you see all of these <sighs> corporate brands that sponsor shops and stuff in the park. And it's one of those things like uh, stupid corporate sponsors and movies advertising. But then, for it, of course, they would do that for Jurassic World. Of course, they would have a little shop there or restaurant. So it's one of those weird cases where it's like, okay, I, this works. Even, okay. the, even the weird Jimmy Fallon yeah. cameo. Yeah, that's so weird. But like, it's, it's, it's such it's, a weird, like, universal synergy moment. But it works in a weird way. And like, also, my favorite thing about the whole like, brand heavy thing of Jurassic World is that there's a Margaritaville restaurant and Jimmy Buffett shows up. For like I love that part second. so much. In the I movie. love because like I you did not it spill those margaritas. No, I I like I. <laughs> Because I saw it for the first time, and then afterwards, everyone's like, oh my god, Jimmy Buffett. And I'm like, wait, where? And then, like, I always looked out for him on, like, rewatches, and it always delighted me. Because I'm like, of course, Jimmy Buffett would be at Jurassic World, like, <laughs> as it's falling apart. And just, like, being an MVP with margaritas, trying really hard not to spill them. Exactly. Because he knows those margaritas are, like, $20 a piece. Oh, he is yeah. not dropping those. Absolutely. But, but like, and I, I like his cast. I think this is a very good cast. Uh, even even as they're not given like a massive, profound amount of things to do, I think it's still they still work on a lot of levels. Like Vincent D'Onofrio is not the best of a villain as he's been in recent years, obviously, but he's still good in he's this. Entertaining enough. Yeah, and like having Jake Johnson and Lauren Lapkus be like the nerdy like tech people of this movie just always delighted me. I, I love I've, their moment in it was like the third act where he goes in to kiss her and it's like, oh, what? No, 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 no. I have a boyfriend. Apparently, that was like improvised. Like they, it was. Supposed, of course, it was. it was supposed to be where they like kissed, and then they were talking about it on the day, and then they were like, no, let's do this instead, and it was so much better. But yeah, like just the the supporting cast of this movie, like B D Wong being back, and like all of these people that just kind of like are really good in this movie, even as this movie doesn't have layers and layers of stuff to do. Like I like Chris Pratt in this movie. Yeah. I like Dallas Howard in this movie. I was kind of annoyed by the whole discourse around her shoes. Because, like, this is a movie and a franchise with giant dinosaurs, and yet yeah. we're going to draw the line at high heels being a good method of transportation. <laughs> but, you know. Yeah, it's, it's entertaining. Not in the way that, like, Lost World is. It's more of, like, a flashy... Yes, this is, like... Popcorn entertaining. Yes, exactly. It's more, like, 
spectacle. Yeah. It is. It's it's the spectacle and less of the like charm sort of. Yeah. yeah, it's not as charming. It's more like smooth and executed in this way that is kind of overly stylized, but also works. It's so weird because it falls into the traps that the first movie set up. Mm-hmm. It's just like this weird meta commentary. Exactly. Even going into Fallen Kingdom, where it's like, ooh, ah, spectacle. What do we do? We have this park. It failed. Um, We need to go bigger. Get bigger dinosaurs, bigger attractions. Make them go, ooh, ah, and and lose substance. Which I think... It's it's this weird meta thing that they fall into. I think that meta commentary works, and I think it works as a plot device, because it is sort of the thing of... We as a society are so stupid that we repeat things that we know not to do. Like, you can see that right now in the current political and social discourse. We are doing things right now that we know from experience we should not be doing, that we have done in the past and they have been bad. And so I think if you elevate that into a sci-fi movie and if you make it be where, oh, every 40 years humans are too stupid and try to clone dinosaurs again like that does fit that realistically feels like i think it's it's like this unintentional thing on the studio's part yeah it's like they don't have this self-awareness of like let's go bigger get bigger dinosaurs let's make hybrid dinosaurs because why not people will like that there's nothing wrong with that no uh, now I'm like, I hope to God there's not like an Easter egg in Fallen Kingdom about the weird human hybrid things, because like, I'm gonna have nightmares about that shit now. Like, it's because the, there's that dangling plot thread with B.D. Wong who escaped with the dino DNA. Yep. B.D. Uh, Wong, the most underrated villain in anything that he is. He is. Like, dear God. Um, but yeah, let's go to the movie we tried to start our conversation with, but I was like, let's finish best for last, sort of. Jurassic Park. So Jurassic Park is great for so many reasons. So first of all, it's this <laughs> blockbuster movie that works on so many levels because you have the pure spectacle of dinosaurs that are animatronics, and the animatronics work really well, and the CGI holds up better than a lot of movies than today, even though it predates a lot of movies today by 20-some years. And then you have this amazing <laughs> cast with Jeff Goldblum, who is amazing and shirtless and laughing <laughs> hysterically. And then you have this lead, Laura Dern and Sam Neill, who aren't your typical attractive uh, you know, uh, Hollywood people like Bryce Dallas Howard or, or Chris Pratt. But they're really good actors, and they hold up the movie fantastically. And Sam Neill's character has this great arc of accepting kids because in the first act of the of the movie he's with this kid and he taunts him but by the end he throws away the velociraptor claw because he accepts kids and it's like oh they're not so bad after all and then laura dern has this great speech that sets up the tone for the entire franchise where women will inherit the earth and it's this great little bit because she scares the men and it's fantastic and they need to be scared so then (laughs) with bd wong where he's kind of not set up to be the villain but he's like this cool scientist but you can see the little nugget of being an evil guy and then you have wayne knight from seinfeld i didn't watch seinfeld i hear it's a good show i'm probably not gonna watch it but then he has this funny bit of being the it guy and this back and forth with samuel jackson it's like uh, uh uh you didn't say the magic word and so then you have this whole thing in the first act too when they're going to jurassic park 
where Sam Neill's character, he's in the helicopter and he has two parts of a safety belt that don't match with each other. So he has to tie them. And that's kind of a little foreshadowing for the nature will find a way because he has two uh, female parts for a seatbelt. So because the dinosaurs, the DNA, they're all women. So they can't have babies. Oh, but they do. Jeff Goldblum says nature will find a way. So he ties them. It's kind of a little foreshadowing. And, and uh, the old rich white guy, he says that he spared no expense. So that's a tip off because the seatbelts are wrong. So if he spared no expense, he should have working seatbelts. I'm running out of breath. Oh, my God. <laughs> that was amazing. <laughs> So I just have some thoughts on Jurassic Park. You did tell me, for the listeners, when I suggested, I was like, let's do a Jurassic Park retrospective. Your instant reaction was, I could talk about the original for hours. And I did not realize that that was exactly what was going to happen. <laughs> oh my god, that was great. But you're, like everything you just pointed out is so right. It's only the tip of the iceberg of what I love about this movie. Um, I do have a weird kind of thing with it now. Um, that the old guy in this movie at my driving instructor that when I tried to learn how to drive looked exactly like that guy and it, so he was kind of the like the Hammond of driving school <laughs> the weirdest thing to me because he always wore like Hawaiian shirts white nice. hair beard all that shit I'm like you look like his clone and you're trying to <laughs> you're trying to like make Jurassic World out of failed driving schools that you had to shut down after six months which was shady uh -oh. but you know but, but no i like i love this movie i think it's so iconic I it think is that it i i need to rewatch it it's been a while it, i'm surprised it, you didn't mention hold on to your butts because like that is such a good line oh um, yeah but it's one I, of those things where so like we said Crichton, he wrote the screenplay for this yeah. and i like all of the changes that he made from his original book. Yeah. One of them being that Hammond was much different in the book. He was much more nefarious in the uh -huh. villain. Yeah. Um, and, and in this one, in the movie, he's, he, he means well. Yeah. He just wants to entertain people with science and dinosaurs that he doesn't understand. Yeah. Uh, the, what he has and the result of it. And yeah. it's such a great movie. God damn. And there's like you were saying, there's so many iconic lines and moments that I don't think the sequels have lived up to having. Well, the, only, the only one I could think of is from Jurassic World when Pratt is kind of doing the whole standoff with the Raptors. I, I do like that scene. And I do yeah. think that kind of is the closest they've gotten to like creating kind of a moment in these movies yeah yeah i think that it i think that that works on a lot of levels um i it's i like with michael Crichton, it's kind of interesting I, with the westworld of it all and seeing just how well westworld does as an adaptation on tv it almost makes me wonder and i know that universal would never sign off on this but i'm like what would it look like if there was like a jurassic park tv show like how would that work within a modern context and all that stuff and how would they almost have a better luck of trying to like recapture the magic of the original if they had like that format to do stuff in it would almost have to be a mini series Totally, totally. Because, like, the budget would be insane. But... Well, even that, like, how long can you go on? Because you lose the 
spectacle of the dinosaurs because in the first one whenever a dinosaur is on screen you feel it the significance and importance of it in the spectacle like when they're sitting in the trees with the brontosauruses the ones with the long necks yes and it's like this it's a magical moment like they they're watching them all and it there's like diminishing returns totally yeah and so that and that's why each sequel has to, it has to be bigger, badder. And and they say that in the trailer. It's like more teeth and bigger and fiercer. Yeah. Which like, again, like, like we kind of said, building out upon yourself can only go so far. It's kind of not to, not to go back to Sharknado, but I feel like Sharknado is kind of a good isolated example of like how building upon yourself ultimately has to become a self-aware action at some point of like, we're going to space, we're going around the world, we're going into the apocalypse. Like every movie gets more and more ridiculous. Well, yeah, look at like how ridiculous they're being. Like, look at any, like, uh, uh, Jason. It's like, there's the regular slasher movies. Then he's in space. Yeah. Like you were saying, (laughs) Uh, like the Leprechaun series, there's yes. Leprechaun, oh, God, Leprechaun God. 2, Leprechaun God. in the Hood, Leprechaun in Space. It's like, stop. <laughs> yeah, but like, it, it has to come from a place of either like self-awareness or complete earnestness. And yeah. I feel like for the most part, the way that Jurassic World is kind of approaching it is almost neither. It's sort of just like, we're going to do this because this makes sense. And like, it's t- a tiny bit self-aware, but it's mainly yeah. the audience is picking up on that and not as much the like the creators of the film actively being aware of it almost but yeah i'm curious to see what the response to fallen kingdom will be i think it'll generally be positive yeah it's not going to be as high as jurassic worlds um but it'll be up there yeah it'll be I don't know. They're, they're like they're already making the third one, so it's not like there's yeah. the thing where oh, this has to be like completely dependent on whether or not this film does well. But which is almost like I wish that more franchises almost had that outlook instead of just having the goalposts consistently moving and all of that sort of stuff. Because yeah, yeah. Like, I, I get it. I wish that the franchises that I actually cared about were more willing to take those risks and greenlight sequels out of the blue without the second film already coming out or whatever. Like I don't know, because and I'm, this is just a veiled way of me saying that I'm bummed that the Star Wars <laughs> spinoffs are killed for now. <laughs> yeah, but, you it's, know. Yeah, it's one of those like, where do you logically take this franchise? Because there's only so many times where you can logically reopen a theme park based on dinosaurs yeah it's like so how do you want up that and like going back to lost world it's like well we're gonna try to bring the theme park to us and have yeah. it on the mainland and it's this weird conundrum it's like we want a dinosaur movie but how do we logically have people hang out with dinosaurs yeah and have people still be scared of dinosaurs at this point it's like it's kind of like the jaws movies Yes, <laughs> super scary. It works, but the further they go on, it's like just stay out of the fucking water. Well, and then you get to Jazz for the the Revenge, which is a delightfully awful movie where it's like, oh, the shark has a telepathic connection to every member of the Brody family and will stalk them on their trip to the like to an island vacation because that's how much they hate the Brody family. And it's like, yeah. what? <laughs> 
Like, it's such a stupid concept. And it works as a very awful movie, but it's not, like, it's not the most realistic way to kind of build no. out. No. Build bigger. But, yeah. It's just, I'm, I'm very curious what how this movie is going to be received. And I'm curious what they're going to do with the third one with meh, 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 what you said at the beginning, <laughs> but yeah, it, it's, it's interesting. Um, I'm still kind of like in tears a little bit from your whole <laughs> tribe. Cause that genuinely delighted me. And then I, I wish I was in better shape so I can have more breath in my lungs. So I could have gone longer. <laughs> You'll find a way. We'll we'll do like a, an episode just about the original, and it'll yeah. be like a three hour long episode. Yes, it will be. But you know, um, but yeah. So I guess that's it. Is that yeah. And um, without you going on a whole other diatribe. <laughs> um, but yeah. Um, where can people find you on social media? They can find me at the Chris Vito. Uh, where can they find you? You can find me on social media at Hey It's Jenna Lynn. You can find our show at Tomato Tomato Pod. We are on Twitter. We are on Facebook, even though Facebook kind of sucks. <laughs> we have a Gmail account, tomato tomato pod at gmail.com. We are on Apple Podcasts. I always say iTunes, but iTunes is not correct anymore. Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Google Play, all of that stuff. You can find us on there. Yes. So, yeah. Um, that's it for now. Until yeah. next time, keep watching movies. Life will find a way. Yes, it will. Bye.